Do you know, as we come to Wales, it's one of those countries that's got such a rich history of God moving powerfully, of bringing revival. And every time we come here, my mind sort of goes towards there as I think about what God did and what he's going to do. And so even as we meet, meet here in this place, and it's just, it's just a country, but it's a country God has moved powerfully in. He's with us, and his presence is with us. And as we looked at this weekend, um, about what to bring, we, we really felt God speaking to us on a specific line. And in my family, when you look at me, we have certain traits. I'm one of six children. I have, um, there's five boys and one girl. The girl is my twin sister. My parents were crazy. They had six kids in six years. But if you're to meet my brothers, you will find, you will recognize them as my brothers. We have this very specific roaming nose, which you can't miss. It's unmistakable. And um, it's just distinctive. And if I was to bring them to church, you would recognize straight away this is, this is Chris's brother. Um, and this is actually part of genetics. It's part of our DNA, isn't it? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably step on some ground here. We've got some scientists here, and they're going to go, uh, uh, it's not about that. <laughs> thankfully, oh, Pete is here. I was going to say, thankfully, Pete's not here. He's down in crash, but he is here. Or Kathy, yeah. <clears throat> and I think for many scientists, they obviously have a much greater understanding of the, the depth of how the genetic code uh, works in producing not just physical similarities, but mental and physical abilities uh, in the way that we grow up. And in fact, even DNA has an effect on our actions and our mannerisms, I think. Um, if you look at your mannerisms uh, compared to your parents, you will find uh, even, even people who have been separated from parents, they've met together and realized their mannerisms are very similar. I don't know whether that's totally scientific or not. Um, in my family, there are uh, three of us who are blue-eyed, and we're all left-handed. And there are three who are brown-eyed, and we're right-handed. And all the brown-eyed have asthma, and all the blue-eyed don't. And genetics is this really funny thing, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's, it's just amazing. And I guess as a church, we wanted to instill over this weekend some values, some core values when it comes to our DNA in Freedom Church. And this is absolutely crucial for us, we believe, as we grow as a church. God is growing us in this city. As he extends us in this city uh, as a family, we want to be recognizable. We want to know what our family resemblance looks like through these traits. And, do you know, one of the other challenges of DNA is that even just one little change in the genetic codes can cause very serious health issues, can't it? Actually, we um, see lots of different major health issues that come about because of differences. Kathy's thinking, no, you've got this one wrong. It's a <laughs> yes. And I, and I guess as we look at DNA, what we're trying to do is we're trying to make sure that as a body, we are healthy. Okay, and distinctive in certain areas. Um, and so that is really what we're doing today. So that we've, we've titled this weekend DNA. Uh, this list that we're looking at is not exhaustive by any stretch. But as we pray, we just feel like these things that we're going to cover this weekend are so relevant for us right now. And so I'm covering the first one. And I think this one is, is, is actually the numero uno most important. Nothing else comes apart from this one. And it's passion. Okay, um, passion for God. Okay, this is a genetic code, a resemblance of what we want to be looking like as a church. Um, and if we're not passionate for God, we are unhealthy. Okay, there's something not right there. 
Um, and so I want to ask the question, what is passion? What is it all about? So I had a look around. We've got Steve Jobs, you know, well-known in the, in the world of uh, business. Obviously, he's, he's no longer alive. He says, Apple is not about making boxes for people to get their jobs done, although we do that well. Apple is about something more. Its core value is that we believe that people with passion can change the world for better. So passion is this recognizable trait in the world, okay? And for, other, for others of us, we might think of passion as a romantic passion, someone pursuing someone, um, courting them passionately. Finally, on passion, John Wesley said this. He said, he was a great evangelist. He says, if I had 300 men who feared nothing but God, hated nothing but sin, and were determined to do nothing among men but Jesus Christ and him crucified, I would set the world on fire. Do you know, Wesley knew the incredible influence that passion and zeal created. Okay? He saw great things happen as a very passionate man for God. And we know actually from the Bible, we've looked at this verse recently. Um, a guy walks up to Jesus in the New Testament and he said, Lord, what's the most important thing in the Bible? What's the most important thing to do? And Jesus says to him, it's the greatest commandment. And we've talked about it many times. It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And essentially, Jesus is saying there's nothing more. Jesus is saying to us, there is nothing more important. There's nothing more important in life than loving him passionately. Nothing else matters if we forget this one thing. God doesn't want us to love him half-heartedly. He wants us to love him with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. And Romans 12, Paul goes on to say this. He says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual further. Keep your spiritual further. This word keep is so important for us here in the Bible. It helps us to understand that actually our passion can, can go out. It's not an automatic thing that happens as we come to Christ. It's not something that just suddenly we're passionate all the time. It's a choice. It's a discipline. It's something that we must maintain. It's something that we've got to be able to choose to do. You know, we get distracted in life, don't we, by other things. It seems like everything else in our world, our jobs, TV, all the technology that we've got out there, the things the world tells us to chase after are conspiring against this thing of passion for God. And so he says here in Romans 12, keep your passion going. Keep the fires going in your heart. And you know, that is my experience, and I expect it's everybody else's experience. It's not just something that feels easy all the time. Just like a marriage requires effort and work to invest together, we need to keep working at maintaining our passion for him. I know just this last week, Matt and I were in the pub having a pint, and we were reflecting. We were doing a sort of health check on how is our passion for God looking at the minute. And you know, if we're totally honest, in life there are times when we feel on fire, 
And there are other times when we feel like, man, I just feel so dispassionate. But the question remains this morning, if Jesus is telling us that the most important thing for us to do is to love him with all our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our strength, then I want to ask this question, how do we keep, how do we go about growing in this passion for him? How do we stop the passion killers in our life, like apathy and complacency and disillusionment and difficult circumstances, from zapping our passion for God and his amazing gospel of good news? I want to stop for five minutes. In these sessions, we are going to be stopping and just reflecting. Okay? I want to gather just into groups of four or five. Just, it's just going to be five minutes. And I want you to ask these questions. What would you say, as you look at your own life, are some of the biggest passions you have? It's okay to have other passions, by the way. It's good to have other passions. What are some of the biggest passion killers in your own life? And what practical ways can we identify to help us to continue to grow in passion for God? Have a think about that. Some of you might want to start with the end one first. So that when we just do a little, I'm going to do two minute feedback just to hear some of your responses. That would be great. Just gather into fours or fives. Don't let anybody left out. And just have a think about those questions. We'll start with this first one. What are some of the biggest passions in our lives, guys? Who wants to let us know what they are? Great way of us getting to know you. Houses. Decorating. You like your DIY. Anybody else? Biggest passions? Reading. Well read man, are you some? <laughs> what, what do you like reading, Tom? What sort of things do you like reading? What do you like reading? <laughs> He's had to throw in the holy, the holy card. Oh, well done. Anybody else? Football. I heard football, yeah. Gardening, yes. It's great. Passionate about your wife doing housework? Or, no. <laughs> Music, yeah. Whiskey. Can't say that as a novice question. Whiskey, yeah. Theatre, yeah. Family. For me, I, lo- I, love, I love nice, fine foods. I like going to nice restaurants, you know. Passionate about that. Anybody else? Cats. Yeah. Can't agree with you on that one, but, you know, we'll pray for you later. Anybody else? No? Um, what are some of the biggest passion killers in your own life? Busyness. Yeah. Yeah. And the list goes on and on. Lists. Yeah. Life circumstances. Yeah. Self doubt. Fear. Kids. We weren't talking about that type of passion killer, Chris. Go on. Negativity. Yeah. Tiredness. Yes. Yeah. Comparison. Not spending enough time with people who lean on God. 
Oh, believe God. Okay. Being in the world. Yeah. Laziness. Yeah. I think self-sufficiency would be one for me. You know, we like to rely on our own gifts and do things and we kind of do a bit of a Mary Martha thing. Any practical ways we can identify to help us to continue to grow in passion for God? Accountability. Yeah. Reading the words. So you can you can listen to a podcast or, or a worship. Variety, the spice of life. Go on. Yes. Okay. Gonna, I was going to put that down as one of the questions, ask other people what they think your passion is. It's interesting, isn't it? I, do you know, these are, I, why do I need to preach? I don't, you just preach to yourselves. It's great to identify some of these things in our lives, isn't it? That actually we're passionate about and some of the things that can get in the way of our own passions. And as I was thinking about this, um, this preach, I'm thinking, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? Do you know... It's great to identify, and there's so much out there, isn't there, on, okay, let's reignite our passion through these 10 different steps, or through doing these things. And actually, as I, as I spoke to my wife about this, um, and as I prayed, I really felt God directing me in another, in another direction. And um, that's why I've been writing this preach, essentially, this second half I've been written while I've been here, um, as I changed what I was going to bring. And it's a little bit out there... <coughs> You'll have to bear with me. Um, but I think essentially the key thing, actually, when it comes to it, we've got all these lists and they're great things to look at and to do in our lives. But fundamentally, our passion for God comes from knowing his passion for us. It comes from knowing his passion for us. And so instead of just getting task orientated this morning and trying to look at different things in our lives that might cause us to to stop being passionate, I wanted to, which is our natural inclination, in fact, we want to fix the problems, don't we? Actually, the only real fix, if we're truly honest, is to look at God's love for us, okay? And uh, I love this. Somebody quoted as they talked about trying to look at Jesus' passion and love for us. They said, if trying to understand and describe God's love is a bit like trying to rugby tackle a snooker table. Can't quite get your arms around it. It's just too big. To understand, okay? It's a great little analogy, isn't it? And um, it's very limited to some extent, but I want to just look at this and just pick up a few points about God's love for us. And I had this very strange thought that went through my head as I was prepping. I was reminded of this film. Who's seen Fifty First Dates? Yeah. And I want to try and describe God's love through 51st dates, okay? Hey, remember, God's love is too big to get our arms around. So we're just going to try and grasp a little bit of it. So the first point is God first loved us. Guy, can you play that first clip? 
<laughs> okay, so tell me a little bit more about yourself. Okay. Well, I've won over seven all-you-can-eat chicken wing contests. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. And I'm a ballet dancer, but only in my bathroom. <laughs> no, no, what do you want to know? Um, do you love me? Hmm. I didn't mean to put you on the spot or anything. I was just asking more for informational purposes as to keep the video up to date as possible. Sure. <laughs> Love is a very loaded word. Um, let's see, I, uh, I go to this restaurant every morning, and I see you there reading, and I love you very much. Probably more than anybody could love another person. background on this film, okay? Drew Barrymore and Adam Sandler. Drew Barrymore's been in this car crash when she was uh, a few years back, and this has affected her memory, okay? So this whole film is about the fact that every time she falls asleep at night, when she wakes up the next morning, she cannot remember anything from the day before, okay? She can't remember anything. She can't remember anybody that she's met since the crash the day after she's woken up. And so she's met Adam Sandler after this crash, and they've fallen in love. And essentially every day, Adam Sandler has to go and find new creative ways to tell her that he loves her. Okay, because they're in a relationship, but every morning she has no idea who this man is. And he goes to these extreme lengths in this film of choosing to love this woman who actually every day has no recollection of who he is. He's a total stranger. And actually in this film, their relationship, he faces rejection on a daily basis with this woman. And he has to instigate his love for her daily. And you know, as they get married towards the end of the film, and they have a kid, we see that each morning, each morning gets complex, each morning... He has to stop her from freaking out because she wakes up and she doesn't know who he is. So he has a video prepared for her as she wakes up. And the first thing she does is put on this video. And it shows her his affection for her. And it tells her the story of their courtship and love. And as I said, this is a little far out. me trying to explain God's love for us in this. But actually, as I thought about this, this is often our response to God. You know, we tend to have very short memories, don't we? We tend to forget, actually, all the things God's done for us on a daily basis. We tend to forget all the ways he's provided for us, all the ways he's answered our prayers, all the ways that we've experienced him, the ways that he has pursued and purchased us. And John, we know this passage, John 1, 4, 19 says, he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. <laughs> The Bible tells us that while we were still in darkness, while we were dead to him, he loved us. While we scorned and chose to rebel and ignore him, he loved us. Before we could show any hint of affection in return, he loved us. And you know, he didn't choose to love us because we were so lovely or cute or worthy. 
He chose to love us in our dirty, rebellious state. We don't bring anything to the table in this relationship. And you know, he wants to remind us every day. Just as Adam Sandler had to do that video, put this on. Let me remind you of your life. Of my commitment to you. Of the things that we've done together. And Jesus does the same for us. God does it through his word. He wants to remind us every day of his absolute love and delight for us. We are the absolute object of his affection. I want to say this, no matter what, no matter whether our passion is like a raging fire, whether it's lukewarm or whether it's cold, he is absolutely besotted for you. No matter how much time we actually spend with him or how we actually feel towards him as we come to worship, he loves us. Guys, this is a radical love. This is the gospel. And you know, I want to say this. This kind of love doesn't make us, it shouldn't make us go, oh, okay. I can just sit back then and relax. I can ignore. That's not what this love does, is it? This is an unconditional, it's an intoxicating type of love. And it should cause us to want us to pursue and engage the one who is chasing us. It's not a love that we want to abuse or deny. So what I'm not saying this morning is, let's just keep our passion lukewarm. Let's just be cold towards him. I'm saying that actually his unconditional love for us and adoration should cause us to delight in him. And it should change us from the inside out. Okay? Secondly, he pursues us with passion, guys. Hi, sorry for the delay. Should be a few minutes. No problem, no worries. Where are you coming from? Breakfast? Yeah. How was it? I had waffles. They were delicious. I like making little houses out of waffles. You do? That's my thing. Okay, pal, when she stops, just let her pet you. Look cute. Or the middle of the road. Thank you. Right there. Perfect. Here she comes. Smile. Where is she? Obviously, it's a funny film. It's made to be like that. But Adam Sandler, we see in this film, he pursues Drew Barrymore every day with these crazy harebrained acts of love. And he wants to lavish her with his affection. Actually, he just wants to spend time with her. So everything he's doing here, you say, he's just wanting that extra bit of time. Because he absolutely adores her and wants to engage with her. And um, he absolutely delights. He, he actually knows her because... Every day he is getting to know her and he doesn't forget. And yet she has no idea who he is. And so he knows what she loves. And so all of his harebrained ideas are things that she delights in, things that she enjoys. 
Okay, he wants to bring you joy. There's a, there's a passion in there to do that. And there are a few moments in this film where he absolutely flips it and he gets it wrong. But generally, he gets it very right. And, you know, I want to say it's very difficult actually to resist someone, isn't it, who is absolutely head over heels in love with us. Do you agree? When all he has is adoration and affection, she simply cannot resist him. And her delight is in his affection. I want to say that God throughout history has lavished his love on his people. He actually goes to extreme lengths, doesn't he, to protect and to, to secure his people. In fact, we know, don't we, that the ultimate act, the ultimate passion of Jesus, we see in the cross. You know, as he came to earth, he gave up his majesty, his authority, his splendor there to come as a, as a boy, as a baby, to a little town in Jerusalem. And he came and he was, he lived a perfect life. He loved people with an absolute passion and yet they turned on him, didn't they? And even on the cross after being crucified, after being tortured, he could say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus pursues each of us with a passion that will never give up. He will continue to pursue us. Thirdly, God gives us revelation of his love. Down. This is my studio. Wow. what's happened here day after day Adam Sandler has been wooing her and he gets to the end of the day and she has watched the video she understands that actually they're in a long-term relationship and she's essentially at one point now said you know what I can't take this for you okay the fact that you have to do this every day is just too much and so she says I do not want you pursuing me and so he actually stops pursuing her and what's happened here is a few months later she, or, or a year later, whatever it is, on timescale-wise, she sees him. And she's been dreaming about this man. And she's a creative artist. So everything that she's been doing in this studio of hers is looking at this man that she keeps dreaming about. And actually, from the hospital, uh, from the condition that she has after this accident, she shouldn't be able to remember anything. And yet there's something a little bit magical here as to what has happened. This love and passion for her that Adam Sandler has lavished on her has caused something magical to happen. What, shouldn't, what she shouldn't be able to do, what she shouldn't be able to remember, she does. Love has broken through at a point where it was impossible. Do you see this? Do you see where I'm going with this one? It's a little bit out there, isn't it? But, and, do you know, that is the reality for us. Okay? God gives us revelation of his love. 
1 Corinthians 2.10 says, These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. I want to say God gives us great minds to learn, doesn't he, about him. But fundamentally, this is about relationship. It's about really knowing the one who has been pouring out his affection for us since the beginning of time. And it doesn't matter how much time that you've spent studying the Bible or investigating Yahweh. Scientists who have investigated, historians who have investigated, does not mean they've come to a knowledge of understanding a relationship with Jesus. They have an academic knowledge. And the reason for this is actually the Bible tells us that we are totally dead. I've mentioned this. We are dead to him. There is nothing that we can read that suddenly just goes, oh, I understand. God actually sends himself, his Holy Spirit, to dwell in us. This is him who is able to reveal his beauty. It's his spirit of love that dwells in us and transforms our thinking and our understanding and our experience of him. And you know, we naturally find ourselves knowing what will please him, don't we? We naturally know instinctively, this isn't going to please him. There's a check in our spirit. You notice that? We find ourselves actually dwelling and enjoying and thinking upon him. And you know, we get to outwork our love for him in beautiful, creative ways, just like this lady who was drawing and, and, and sculpting and dreaming about this man. We get to outwork our love for him, our passion for him, as we worship him, as we write love letters to him in our diaries. There are loads of ways that we outwork our love creatively for him. Fourth, he wants to commit, sorry, he commits to wanting to spend eternity with us. Take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife, to have and to hold, from this day forth, as long as you both shall live. Um, we're almost there. So, he commits to wanting to spend eternity with us. Just like here we see in this video, Adam Sandler's passion for Drew Barrymore led him to committing his life in marriage to Drew Barrymore. And God describes us as his church, as the bride that he has committed to spending eternity with. And I want to say this, this commitment that he has to us is unshakable, it's unquestionable, it's unbreakable. God himself, in his own character, he is so holy, he's unable to lie. So he's promised this. This is a promise for us. 
And I want to say his, his word and his commitment to us is not what we see around us in the world today. It's not, you know what, seven years and I'm, I'm feeling a bit bored. And I think I just need to try something else because you're just not satisfying me. He gave himself up for us, for the bride that he adores. And he chose us before creation so that we might know and enjoy him. This is the God that we come to this morning who is just absolutely in love with us. One other clip, last clip. It's very cold outside, so when you're ready, put on a jacket and come have breakfast with me. Love you. child she wants to gaze at her husband okay and there's just this infectious joy of knowing she's valued and loved okay it's tangible almost as you watch it and Ephesians 5 tells us this it says husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. <laughs> Throughout scripture, there's this theme of a people, a bride that God has prepared, who has cleansed and sanctified for his groom, Jesus. I want to say his beauty is breathtaking. His passion and his commitment for us, even unto death where this beautiful love story goes that we read in our Bible. And I want to say this, this passion to seek him means actually when we see his love for us, we want to spend time with him, don't we? This isn't, oh, well, I'm supposed to, out of duty, I guess I should be getting up and I should be doing this and I should be doing that. Well, you're all wrong if that's how you're feeling. Just come back to looking at his passion for you. It's his delight 
and his passion to spend time with you. And because we spend time resting in that and enjoying that, I want to say it changes us. Okay? It means that when we come to reading about him and worshipping him and engaging with him, this is the most exciting thing in our lives. It's the thing we're most passionate about because there is nobody who loves us that much. Not even my wife loves me as much as Jesus does. And I can't say that I love my wife. I'd love to. But genuinely, I'm flawed. God loves us with a passion that no one else can. That's why the psalmist in Psalm 27 says, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. Guys, I want to say that so often we define ourselves at the end We define ourselves, our status, our value by what we bring to the relationship. The ability to provide and prove our love through performance. But I want to say this morning, there is nothing that you can do to make him love you more or make him love you less. Whether you get up at 6am to pray or not does not change his love for you. It may change your love for him. I want to say as we soak in time with him, as we dwell on his beauty and his undying, unquenchable love for us, we're changed. We're undone. We're ruined for anything else. And we're not going to be satisfied and fulfilled by anything else that the world can dangle in front of us. Do you believe that? I want to end with this quote from John Piper. He says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him.